Thanks, you guys. Good morning, everybody. Let me um, give another uh, push to the Christmas Eve service. You know, we've always met live and had several services and um, canceled it for this year, at least in person. Um, you can watch it at 5, you can't watch it before 5.30 on Christmas Eve, it's not up, okay? So you can watch it as if it's being live streamed at 5.30. After it is on at 5.30, then it will be posted on the website and Facebook, okay. Not on Facebook, so I don't know much about Facebook. Anyway, so around 6.30, you can see it on the website or Facebook. Does that make any sense? Um, <clears throat> let me really plug that. Um, now, I shouldn't sound surprised that, you know, our people, the music, um, all the music people, Jackie Hansen, uh, with the children, I shouldn't sound, I, I don't mean to sound, that. boy, these guys finally did a decent job. Um, this is a very good job. Now, the devotional that I do is life-changing and dynamic. We, we, you, we already know that. Um, you can probably skip it, to be honest. But Jackie, what Jackie did with the kids in an interactive um, thing that they can follow along um, is amazing. The music is fantastic. Um, we had a little bit of a, of a snowfall start as on cue uh, outside. Um, it just turned out very good. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. <coughs> now, this is the fourth last Sunday of Advent. And once, uh, one more time, we will look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, <clears throat> and then today, verse 7. Last week, we looked at two, the first two of the four names <clears throat> of the child that's to be born. Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God. We'll look at the other two and then verse 7 today. So beginning with verse 6, <clears throat> For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
will accomplish this. The last two of the four different names that refer to the character who Christ is. Clearly here that he is fully God, fully man. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God. There's no question that he is, he is God. Now the third title that we are introduced here to is eternal father. Now, let me explain that as hopefully clear enough. This is not referring to the second person of the Trinity by the title of the first person of the Trinity. This is not ignoring the distinction between the three persons of the Trinity. I'm aware we've spent some time last week on the background of all of this is the doctrine of the Trinity. The whole Christmas story, the plan of the Father, the prophesying of the Spirit, and the coming of the Christ doesn't make any sense outside the context of one God eternally existing in three persons. Those three, the three persons of the Trinity, co-essential, meaning they are God. Co-essential, co-equal, co-eternal. We don't worship three gods at all. We worship one God eternally existent in three persons. It is a doctrine that is called supra-reasonable. Not super, but supra. It means above our ability to intellectually grasp as finite humans. But it doesn't call it into question as to its truth. Not that we shouldn't plumb every depth we can with our understanding. That we should just shrug things off if we don't understand them and try, don't try to understand them. But this is a doctrine that we will never fully grasp as humans. But it is the foundation of Christianity and of all of the revelation of truth in Scripture. So, when... The Messiah, the Christ who is born into this world of a virgin is referred to here as the eternal father. It does not mean that Jesus also has the name eternal father. He is nowhere in scripture is the second person of the Trinity referred to as the father. This ought to be and is better translated as father of eternity. And the Hebrews used a term often. So-and-so was the father of whatever, the father of uh, knowledge or the father of science or the father of whatever meant they were instrumental in bringing that to fruition or to understanding or to reveal it. 
It doesn't mean then that Jesus is also the Father, but it means He is the Father of everlasting. Or some ancient different language versions say He is, he is the ever-living One. Now, what does so what? What does this mean? <clears throat> it is a fact that Jesus being the Word, the living Word, that the worlds came into being, the Scripture says, by Him, was, uh, without Him was nothing made that was made. He is, let me give you some Scripture from the New Testament. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Or, the language there is, and God was the Word. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The Son, then, is from the beginning. John 8, 58, in a discussion with the Pharisees, and they were picking at Jesus because he said he knew Abraham. And they said, well, how do you know Abraham? You're not 50 years old yet. Who do you make yourself out to be? Then Jesus answered in chapter 8, 58, he said these simple words, Before Abraham was, I am. That's the I am of the burning bush. When Moses approached it and the voice said, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. And into the conversation, Moses said, when I go to the Egyptian king, Pharaoh, and to set my people free, who do I say sent me? And the voice out of the burning bush was, I am. I am sent you. Meaning, I am the source of life myself. God needs no help, nor had any beginning outside of Himself. He is the all-sufficient, self-sufficient, forever source and sustainer of all things. He is the origin of everything. That's what the Father of Eternity means. Hebrews, Hebrews says that from the beginning, He, Christ, laid the foundation of the earth. The Father, then, in Hebrews chapter 1, says to the Son, Your throne, O God, calls Him God, Your throne, O God, is from everlasting and forever and forever. Who is it, then, that this is what we need to know as Christians. 
the lofty, incomprehensible God came in a tiny baby through the womb of a virgin into this world and came small, dependent, yet He is the eternal God. That's who came to save us. We don't have the greatest teacher that ever lived, a great man, a great philosopher. We have God who came, clothed Himself with human flesh to save me. And having saved us individually as we put faith in Him, He lives in our heart by His Spirit. He sustains us, strengthens us, guides us, illuminates us, enlightens us, teaches us, corrects us. That's what Christmas is about. God came into this world to save me. That tells me several things. One, how much God loves us in spite of the fact that we are rebels. The whole race has risen up in mutiny against God. Yet that same God went through this that He might save us. It tells us the second thing. It tells us something about sin, the result of our rebellion. No one less than God can fix it. It takes God to turn my heart around. It takes God to forgive me, to change the direction and the disposition, the attitude and the appetude, uh, appetites of my heart. It takes God Himself to fix the mess we got ourselves in beginning with our first parents. There's the height and the depth in all of that. This father of eternity, maybe one more scripture, Revelation, twice in chapter 1, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, or the first and the last. This is Jesus, our Savior. That is who the Father holds out to a rebellious race as the mediator between God and us, the man Christ Jesus. So when we read here, your name shall be called Everlasting Father or Father of Eternity. He, he is the life the light, the truth, forever. Second, or, or fourth, second we want to look at today, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Now, what does Prince of Peace mean? A couple things. One, P 
peace is the means of His rule and His kingdom. It's how He rules. Through peace. Second, it's the result of His rule is peace. First, peace in my own heart. We'll, we'll look at both sides of that here in a moment. He was despised and still is. Despised and rejected of men, Isaiah said. And when he was crucified, if we remember reading Isaiah 53, greatest description of the Messiah, the suffering servant, it says that we turned away our faces from him. He was despised of men and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then Isaiah goes ahead in referring to his death on the cross. We, meaning the people of Israel, supposed to be the people of God, we considered him smitten by God. In other words, we looked at him as being punished by God for faking that he was the Messiah. He got his just due in the minds of the people of Israel when he was nailed to a cross because he claimed to be God. The scripture I quoted a minute ago from John 8, the minute he said to the chief priests and the Pharisees that were arguing with him, the instant that he said, before Abraham was, I am. They didn't just all shake hands and go home. At those words, it says they took up stones to stone him to death for saying, I'm God. He's always been despised primarily because he's a threat to our rebellious self-will. God is the ultimate threat to our self-sovereignty. I want to run my own show, Isaiah. We've all turned aside unto our own way. It is my way, not your way. And he's a threat to my self-rule. He's the ultimate threat because he says, you bow the knee to me, give up your self-rule, and then you'll live. If you don't, you'll die. So, Jesus then is he is our prince but he rules by peace why was that such a problem in that day because there isn't any earthly king that rules by peace they rule by the sword they rule by might by power by crushing Jesus rules 
by peace. What does that mean? Frankly, we have to be careful. Maybe I should just say me, but I don't think I'm the only one. We have to be careful that in our lives, what we hope God does, what we pray for, and so forth, can veer away from the kind of king Jesus is and has always behaved like this to we can become like the Jews. Uh, they said, I, we don't, who is this Messiah? What kind of Messiah are you describing? We've got another idea in our minds, and it's not this. And in every case that they responded like that, it was when Jesus described himself as suffering, going to the cross, of being despised by men. In every case, he, we don't like his rule. We don't like the way he does it. There's a sinful way to assume that, and that's how the wicked live. But even those of us as Christians, we have to be careful that we don't pray and act and become disappointed and discouraged in the way God does things because he doesn't do it like humanity does. Now, I've mentioned this before. I'm not, I don't think I'm the only one in here. I've watched too many Clint Eastwood movies. Too many Charles Bronson. <laughs> you know, the whole world is straightened out and there is bad, there are bad people littering the ground and it only took an hour and 20 minutes to do it. Somebody got lippy and so it was just, I kind of like that. <laughs> I just wish God would come around to that way of thinking. My thought is, boy, that'll raise the hair on the back of the neck of the wicked, and it'll cheer the righteous. Those of us who love righteousness, justice, truth, it's an almost immediate vindication of us. We feel good. And the wicked get it. But God explained more than once, but the clearest place he explained is in Peter's first letter. God is not tardy, slack, undependable regarding his promise, but is long-suffering towards us all, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Getting us to the point of repentance takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of calling and drawing and working with us, and we, and I think Americans are probably worse, we're known for our total lack of patience. I don't care whether it's investing or whatever it is. We, it, how fast? How fast can we do this? Now that's helped us in some non-moral ways, but morally, God doesn't function like that. And A.W. Tozer put it best, and I, try, I remind myself, try to, of this 
He said, God will never bow to our nervous haste. He just won't do it. Now we can pray and try to bother him and try to pester him to death to do things now. Do it big. Do it splashy. Do it sensational. He will not do it. He won't do it. I believe it's Isaiah also that says when Jesus comes, his voice will not be heard in the street. He will not shout. And it says a broken stem of a reed he won't break off. And a smoldering wick on a candle he won't snuff it out. He's patient, kind, long-suffering. Why? Because he sees the long picture. I don't want anyone to lose their soul and end up in hell. I have no pleasure that the wicked die, but rather that he would turn and live. I need to be more like that. Probably all of us do. Because we're in a culture, especially we're in a world, but also in a social culture that, frankly, views patience and long-suffering as nothing but sheer spineless weakness. You know that? And Jesus, it said, was meek and lowly in heart. And meek is defined, this is a great definition of meek. It's the inner spiritual strength that frees me from the need to prove my strength. Do you, under, you get that? It is a freeing thing that I don't have to prove that I tell you what, yeah, I'm a ring-tailed Yehu, don't cross me, I'll tell you. Jesus wasn't like that. We better not be either. So Jesus went against the grain of what the world even looks for in a rescuer slash king. He needs to set things straight. He will. He will. And when he, this phrase we've heard, God's wheels grind slowly, but they grind extremely fine. Uh, if you get ground by God, you, you got ground up. But he's not like we are, nor like we think he ought to be. Prince of Peace is how he rules. And it's the result of his rule. The deepest, the deepest problem in the human heart is discord, disharmony, lack of peace. Whether we can identify it, whether we're even really conscious of it. The anguish of the human heart is the, it comes from a lack of peace and harmony and, and uh, symphony with the God of this universe. We are, when we're not absolutely right with God, 
we are in hostility. Romans calls sin enmity against God. And so I am butting heads with my maker. And the only source of light, joy, peace, grace, I am at odds with him. So the things that he abundantly gives, I don't have. And so what do we all do? We seek joy, peace, hope, meaning, fulfillment in the wrong places. And that increases our angst and our inner turmoil. Probably the number one thing all my years of pastoring that I hear from people who respond to an altar invitation and get right with God or pray in my office or whatever is I feel peace. I just feel peace. Jesus goes nowhere that he doesn't bring peace with him. The disciples locked up after the crucifixion, hiding, barricaded in an upper room. He enters the room without opening the door and he says, my peace I give to you. Not like the world gives, meaning based on circumstances and your size of your portfolio and how the stock market is doing and whether you're popular or not. That kind of peace, I got my way. It dries up as quickly as you get your way. He said, I give you my peace. In the middle of tempests, storms, reverses, setbacks, disappointments, all that happens to us. I'll give you peace. I'll give you peace. You'll have peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's the victory. And that's what the Prince of Peace brings. There's two kinds of peace. Then we'll move on. And they are vast, they're clearly different. When I am converted, when I'm saved, when I'm forgiven of my sins, when I'm born again, Jesus Himself brings peace with God. Romans 5 being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Hostility between us has ceased. There's a deeper peace. There's a peace that the Holy Spirit fills my heart with when He fills us. And it's the peace of God. There's peace with God. The peace of God is a reigning, ruling present, enabling, rest. It's the rest of no longer an internal struggle with my will or His. It's Thy will be done. That brings the peace of God because He fully rules in my heart. The Prince of Peace then means a lot. Now, finally, he says here, speaks of his kingdom, 
verse 7, there'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, God for his own sake, for the love of his people, <clears throat> and for the fact that he, there's a little verse in the first chapter of Jeremiah. God says this, I am always watching over my word to fulfill it. It's impossible that God ever forget a promise or a syllable of what he said. He said, I'm always watching over what I said to bring it to pass, to fulfill it, every promise that I made. That kingdom then <clears throat> operates on his faithful faithfulness to his word. Now let me just jump to this. It's, this is a kingdom too. Like Jesus said to Pilate. Pilate said, well, you know, you're a king, aren't you? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from above. How does this kingdom described? He'll establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. This is not then a kingdom. Frankly, this is a kingdom that's out of this world. It's a kingdom that is based on and is fulfilled in non-earthly things. I, I won't get off the subject here. I, I just won't accept. This is where so much of today's preaching of the so-called gospel is not the gospel. It's earthly measure. It's seed tithing. You earn a hundred, you give God ten. Aha! Some smart TV preacher came up with the notion. Give him the ten first and then he's obligated to give you the hundred. That's quite a deal. Only problem is, it's rank heresy. But it's everywhere. And you do it. You know what? <clears throat> God is nothing but, in about 90% of the preaching today, God's nothing but a cosmic vending machine. And you manipulate Him by hitting E5 for a Snickers. You understand? It's not servanthood to God. Bow the knee. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's, no. He's my step and fetch it boy. He's supposed to make me happy. Keep me well. Keep accidents from happening. It's his, his job to get me a job. And he needs to deliver. That is, that's blasphemy. You know that? That is flat blasphemy. Remember who this is. This is the God of the universe who made us, gives us Daniel with a backbone of steel stood before that lousy King Belshazzar who was a no good 
And he was, Daniel didn't even hardly treat him civilly. He didn't deserve it. And he just said, the God who holds your breath in his hand, you've never honored or glorified. And he said, therefore, your days are numbered. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And tonight, you're going to be dead. Turned and walked out. I, I love preachers like that. <laughs> of his kingdom and his increase, there's no end. And I want you to notice this final thing. Not only will this one endure, it'll dominate, but it'll destroy every other one. The end result is this kingdom of Christ will grow and fill the earth and heaven and it will extinguish and destroy every other kingdom. There is no kingdom ultimately but this one. If we are therefore in any, if we're in the kingdom of this world and not in the kingdom of Jesus, we are in a crumbling, perishing kingdom and we will perish with it. So what's God's whole aim for us? It's to, well, what does the church word church mean? Don't forget what that word means. Ecclesia, the called out ones. In other words, God is calling us. Get out. Get out of this world and its systems and its values and its measure of success. Get out of it and get into a kingdom not like the one of this world which is perishing, but get into the kingdom of King Jesus who rules forever and ever and ever who hands out to us extends to us hebrews says thy throne o god endures forever and then he says this the scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness and the scepter is what the king is both a a symbol of his authority but it is a signal of his approval if the scepter is extended to me, it's giving me an opportunity to approach him. It's being accessible. Jesus not only is the Father's scepter to a wicked world, but if I want into his kingdom, he has a scepter also. It's the scepter of righteousness. It means you want to get into Jesus' kingdom? There's one way. It's righteousness. Through him, not our own. But I accept that to be a Christian is to be righteous, is to be holy in heart and life and forsake sin. That's what it takes to be in his kingdom. Get on the right side. We all need to get on the right side and stay there. And will live. This, this kingdom, this Savior, this King that came into the world, this, this is obviously, uh, I think it is right that down through the millennia, the church has rightly celebrated 
as one of the two greatest days on the calendar, Christmas, Easter. <clears throat> but it is, while sh uh, joyful, is sobering. It is sobering. Jesus came to rescue us from certain death because of sin. Get in the right kingdom. Let's just bow our heads. We'll not close with any music this morning. And Dan, if you'd come and dismiss us with prayer, please. <clears throat>